Welcome to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. This podcast delivers insights on medical device packaging from regulatory affairs, process management, as well as discussions on the latest in sterile device packaging technologies. Each episode, our host, Charlie Webb, speaks with global experts to bring the most relevant information to our esteemed listeners. As sterile packaging compliance becomes increasingly more challenging, it is vital to avoid information gaps that could risk your medical device packaging program. Avoid package failure risks and build your skill set from your colleagues' experience and from insights from sterile device packaging subject matter experts. Hello, this is Charlie Webb and welcome to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. So today we're going to talk about something that is uh, become a real issue in our industry. One of the problems that uh, device companies are having right now is they're losing uh, those that do lose sterility in the distribution chain. They're losing it because of an equipment failure at their facility. So we're going to talk a little bit about preventative maintenance and how preventative maintenance can really save the day in terms of thwarting these problems. Today we have uh, a very amazing expert, uh, Cord Burnham, who's going to join us here in just a minute. And we're going to talk about how the change in culture on machinery and how you manage machinery can really have a huge impact on how your device is going to fare in the distribution channels. Cord Burnham is, uh, we didn't have to look very far when we found Cord because he works at Vanderstahl Scientific. He's a colleague of mine. He's Kaizen uh, trained. He's a Six Sigma guy. He's also uh, co-manages 17025 calibration and empirical laboratory at Vanderstahl Scientific. So he's uh, kind of uh, the top dog in terms of uh, service. He's our technical manager. He oversees our service center. So nobody knows service of packaging machines like Cord Burnham. He's the guy and I've got him on the phone. Hello, Cord. You with me? I'm here. So Cord, tell us a little bit about the landscape when you show up on a medical device manufacturer and they've called us. And by the way, you are on planes constantly. You are in constant state of jet lag. And I know that you're just recovering from a, a series of your your rock star world tour and you're back into the laboratory now. So you're out in the field. You've been into so many clean rooms in your career. You've seen so many different um, medical device, corporate cultures. And so when you show up, usually there's a problem. Sometimes it could be something as serious as a 43 product recall. And sometimes these are traced back to the machinery. And so I guess when you show up, the mood's a little somber, right? Absolutely. Sometimes the people are just terrified because they need the problem fixed immediately. And that's why I'm there. So we go in there, we take a look at what's going on. We can usually the problem comes back to improper maintenance of the machinery. So we're going in there, we're looking at the equipment, we're showing them the obvious signs of part failure, the consumables that need to be replaced on a regular basis, mechanical parts that might need to be replaced. And it really is amazing how little some of these people know about the equipment that they're using. Right. I know, you know, training is, is so important. I mean, under our ISO mandate and our quality system, we require our people to be certified and, and uh, you know, show competency at every one of those steps. And so it's surprising when we see a maintenance group, no fault to them, they really don't understand how the, how the machine works. Or, you know, they're managing injection molders, perhaps. And sometimes in these small device companies, they're the people who are handling the air conditioning system. So their job is to manage a lot of machinery. And it's hard to be an expert at everything under that roof. So we understand that. But 
When it comes to a critical packaging machine, you really have got to know your stuff. And that's where, and I guess part of what you do in the field is train and you do this sort of post-mortem that, hey, look, here's what happened. Here's how to thwart. I mean, this is the the nature of sort of a, a corrective action. How do we you know, prevent this from happening again? Do you have enough parts on hand? What are some of the other challenges and what is the sort of word on the street for why these failures are happening? A lot of the times what we find out is the company was so focused on making the medical device and, of course, the packaging because that's considered part of the medical device that when it gets the time to purchase the sealer, they buy the sealer, but they don't put a lot of time or money into maintaining the sealer the way they should. They lose track of the fact that that piece of equipment creates the sterile barrier that keeps their medical device safe and sterile to the point of care. And once they lose track of that, they tend to let it go. And it's just like a car. It needs regular periodic maintenance. Without that, it falls into disrepair and the seal quality can seriously suffer. And you and I have had this conversation multiple times about uh, how the money seems to run out at a device company, particularly true in startups. You know, a lot of the money goes into the device development, the 510K, the regulatory core that develops the device, pretty furniture and la la la, all the things that you got to do upstream of sticking that thing in a bag. And so it's hard, I think, a lot of times for companies to get their head around the fact that the device in the pouch under the sterile barrier system is an aggregate thing. It's They're not disconnected. So the effort and time and money that you put into that medical device and its development and its uh, clinical process, all of those things are really no less important. I, I'm quoted often by saying that a medical device uh, no matter how efficacious, if sterility law is lost, it's effectively poisonous. And and that's really an important thing to remember. It doesn't matter if you have the latest medicated stent that is you know beautifully delivered through all these amazing mechanisms. If it comes to the point of use and sterility is compromised, it all falls apart. And so our mission has been, and hopefully the mission of this program is to really talk more about the sort of seriousness of medical device package. And I think even employees that work for medical device manufacturing companies feel kind of like the lost child, like it's uh, their job isn't as important on the, the sort of development side upstream. And um, we think that's a shame. So so when you're in the field and um, are you sort of taken aback by the fact that how little they know about, I mean, we've talked about this before, right? Where they're like, oh, we didn't know it needed X. That's what you're seeing, right? Absolutely. You see that all the time. You go in there and you'll talk to them and you're pointing out the, all the consumer parts that need to be replaced and they have no idea. It's a shame too because all they have to do is reach out to us as the manufacturer and we're more than happy to provide them with guidelines on periodic maintenance for any of the equipment we provide to them. And we're willing to you know, do on-site training. We're willing to have them come to our facility for training, whatever it takes to make sure that they're maintaining that piece of equipment correctly to provide it with a longer life. Right. Yeah. So kind of frame a good maintenance culture and a bad maintenance culture. I mean, what are the cues for management to sort of look at in terms of a maintenance group? I know that I speak to some of the most anally retentive service guys that, I mean, I had one ask me at one time if I could explain the metallurgy of our base plate. And then I had on the other side, another maintenance person that was working on the machine And he asked me, is this machine a printer? 
So <laughs> they didn't know what the machine was, right? So those gigantic chasm of difference between those cultures, what are you looking for when you come in? I know you have to sort of scan the facility when you get there so you have a better sense of how am I going to solve this problem? And you got to know who you're working with. Absolutely. So what I'm looking for is I want to talk to the uh, whoever's in charge of the programs and make sure that they're uh, doing regular package testing because that's going to be the best indicator of when PM needs to be performed. So a good culture has a, an effective quality control person that's monitoring their packaging seal strength, noticing the degradation, and immediately looking for a reason why, looking at the maintenance history of the equipment that creates the seal, looking at maybe the test equipment, everything in that chain, and they're going to come to us. They're, those are the companies that are going to come to us immediately and ask us for help. Whereas in the bad company culture, you're finding out that the quality guy does monitoring once in a while, and it's not until it actually fails that he becomes concerned. And that's the guy who's he's in a panic at this point because now it's not just, oh, hey, I noticed a, a drop in seal strength. I noticed a failure of seals, which means I had to stop an entire product line from going out because we don't know if any of those other seals are failed. It, rather than being in the preventive mode that the good culture's in, he's in the fix-it mode the bad cultures are in. Right. And, you know, that's a uh, an important point. I mean, there preventative is what this is all about. You know, stop these problems before they turn into, I mean, we've heard stories where it came in through a, an operating theater where one, a customer's device, an orthopedic part, when they pulled it out, it fell through the seal onto the floor. So testing and all of these sort of things aside, which we'll talk about in other programs, obviously there's so much value in looking ahead at what could happen if you don't follow the right steps. And the amazing thing to us, again, is that these are all covered when they're doing the validation. I mean, they're creating these great IQ, OQPQs. When they're IQ side, they're really evaluating the equipment. Does it meet the purchase specification? Is it able to perform? Is it repeatable? Is it alarmed? What percentage? To which, I mean, we, we get the most thick questions asked on the machine side. And then when it gets to the facility, it's like a, a child with a toy. It forgets about it, and now it's sent into a corner. That's now its maintenance has been relegated to an uninterested, non-quality trained part of the facility, and that's when things become problematic. And we hope that you know through these sort of discussions, we can talk about the value of PM. I know I've blogged about it for the last 25 years about, gosh, please, I'm telling you that. And unfortunately for us, we're, we can be the bad guys. I, I mean, isn't the first response when you walk in the doors, Hey, what's this machine is terrible, right? I mean, is that what you're hearing? And I'm sure a lot of other packaging machine companies can relate to this or injection molding companies or any machine company is frustrated when the focus is pointed back at them of not having a quality product when at the end of the day it was it was a maintenance issue. That's absolutely true. We, we get that a lot. It, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the engineers immediately blame the equipment rather than looking at the maintenance history of the equipment and seeing that, oh, this has a recommended maintenance cycle and we haven't been meeting that. <laughs> One of my the best examples that you and I were talking about is I was in a beautiful two-story clean room beautiful equipment and they had multiple different models of our equipment out there but they'd only called us out there to deal with one model of the equipment so they had about six or seven of these models that we went in to do service and calibration on and they were in good shape because they do regular pm on them and i just happened to be walking by another work area where they had other models of our equipment that i looked at and said has anybody ever done any maintenance on those and the engineer <laughs> said i don't know 
can you check for us? So I, I went over and I actually looked at the equipment and it was in horrible shape. So I was able to provide them with some at least guidelines on parts they needed to order and show them what was going on there. And it was amazing to me to get one line of equipment, you're spending all this time and money making sure that we're on site and we're the ones doing the PM for you so that it's done correctly. And yet over here, you're ignoring this other piece of equipment that's just as critical. Yeah, that connectivity is crazy at times. It just seems like um, there'll be a project owner of part of that packaging line, but he doesn't speak to the other project owner. And so they don't have a culture of maintenance over all of their equipment. You'll have a very good skilled quality person, manufacturing engine over here, the other one perhaps less interested or less trained. And so you see these mixed cultures, which are surprising. So how are you received? I mean, when you, after you uh, tell them the bad news, I mean, are they receptive to change and uh, do they want to know more? Do they, can you see them already in the sort of corrective action mode of, you know, how can we moving forward? I know in our lab, if we have these sort of problems, we are all championed into a a boardroom and we're like, how can we make this better? How can we stop this from ever happening again? I mean, that's the name of the game. That's how quality works. You find the problem, you identify the problem, you solve the problem and you monitor the problem uh, to make sure that the fix that you put in place works. So do you feel that that is going to go on once you're back on the airplane? I mean, or do you feel like, I, I don't think I made any traction here. <laughs> it's got to feel like that. I'm sure sometimes anyway, right? Very rarely. The majority of people are more than willing to accept the guidance, and they're, they're happy to know that they can prevent the problems in the future. That's the greatest thing you see when that dawns on their face, that when they realize proper maintenance is going to prevent this, because as you know, any NCR for uh, an out-of-tolerance event for a company like that is going to be a huge problem. So they are so happy that you're solving that problem for them. By the time I walk out of most places, they are absolutely in love with us because we've shown them how to prevent this from happening in the future. Yeah. And, you know, the maintenance, as you touched on right there, can, will affect, can, but almost always does affect the calibration. And we're going to have you back to talk about calibration on a later episode. But, and, you know, I think there's, there's ways as vendors to help them. I know in, in our company, we, um, we have online video training for maintenance that, uh, maintenance uh, supervisors can use and we even have a certification program where they can get certified with a 25 question test and i urge any vendor of that manufactures packaging equipment or any other sort of critical piece of equipment the clean room itself anything that can that there's training available for now with our super wide bandwidth on um, the internet we have no reason where we can't do video training it's hard to be everywhere but through video training is very easy to get everybody on the same page it makes uh, happy customers for us and it's the right thing to do in business so we really believe strongly i think we were sort of pioneers on this uh, about 20 years ago when we started an audio program on training so, yeah, and we've seen some crazy things. I know just passing through, and I'm not at your laboratory as often these days, but when I'm through there and I see a machine that is covered and it looks dirty, the cowling is broken, there's stickers all over it, and you and I both look at this and say, this is actually going to be used to seal up a medical device. Wow, that's hard to believe. And you see that level of lack of care and decay and, you know, the equipment's uh, somewhat expensive. So right there, you should take care of expensive equipment. And um, But more importantly, on critical packaging machinery like this, it really has to be cared for. So we can see just from the outside of the machine, people don't take care of it. And then conversely, we'll get machines in there and we'll swear that it just got out of the box, even though it's been in the field for five years. So 
that's the uh, the different cultures that are touching that. Because you're in the clean room, Cord, how does that sort of happen? I mean, how do you, first of all, get a machine that looks like that that's coming out of a class 100,000 room is what I'd like to know. I don't think they can be coming out of class 100,000 rooms because I, I, I look at the machines that come in, as you said, they're, they're dirty. Sometimes they almost have like a greasy film on them. And it, it's my assumption that that machine has never been anywhere inside of a clean room, that it sits in you know a shop somewhere and they cannot possibly be packaging medical devices on that. And if they are, that's a terrifying thought because it makes you those, wonder. Those machines, yeah. We've all often joked about getting those medical alert bracelets that uh, have uh, company names on them that say, right. don't use products from this company on me. Yeah, exactly right. And it, it's true. But you know, for the most part, most of the clean rooms I go into, machinery is well-maintained. They know what they're doing. They've contacted us. Very rarely do I go into a clean room and go, oh, my God, it, it, it's, it's very rare. And once again, those machines that come to us that are repeatedly in bad states of repair i assume that that is not packaging a medical device i hope not at least yeah some of those will never know what their origin although they seem to be device companies but that said i i don't mean to beat up on uh, device companies i mean by and large i most of our customers and i would say 95 percent of at least on where i work those people do an amazing job they are very inquisitive they want to know the right uh have the answer so they can do the right thing so i don't i don't mean to beat them up i mean you know clearly these um these are challenging problems they're hr problems it's hard to try to develop a culture where at the very top you have the highest trained people so a lot of times in the medical device packaging group is someone with a master's degree in manufacturing engineering or a packaging engineer. So these are very highly educated, very well-trained people. And they're trying to send that signal down all the way down the sort of food chain down to that distal end of delivery of the device. And so I think it's unfair to ask sometimes to have the same level of ownership when you're on a packaging line than the person that is in the nice chair down the hallway. So I think it's good for us in management to be able to really connect better with every single person. I was just interviewed for a podcast recently on Beyond Clean, great podcast. And we talked a little bit about how in the medical device packaging arena, we're very disconnected with patient. So it's hard for us to think that, gosh, you know, here I am 30 miles away from a hospital I'm packing up this medical device. I don't even know what this thing does. I don't even know. There's not a hospital in sight. And it's hard to really get your head around. This is actually going to go into a human body or this is a life-saving device. And so the preservation of value or importance is very hard to do. And I know in your job, Cord, as you travel around the country, you have a mission. And we've talked about this before of really trying to be, and you almost have to be so dramatic, like I'm being right now, but it is in fact true. These are devices that are going into humanoids, right? So you have to tell this story in a very dramatic, like, look, everyone, as you gather around the maintenance group, this is important stuff. And that's a conversation you have a lot with this group, right? Absolutely. The most efficacious words you can use to terrify an engineer are, you know that Improper maintenance of this machine could lose to loss of sterile barrier, which could lead to a device that carries an infection into a patient, causing their death. And you just watch the look of horror on their face because it never occurred to them. <laughs> but it's it never occurred true. to them 
that at the very end of the delivery of that device, if that sterile barrier is not intact, it risks somebody's life. And so, yes, as you said, you have to be dramatic because you have to make them understand that the proper maintenance of this machine is just as important as the production line that creates that device or the manufacturer who makes the pouch material. Our sealers need to be maintained, and we are more than happy to show you how to do it properly. Right, yeah. I mean, there's the nosocomial infections, um, hospital-associated infections, health-related uh, infections are, you know, on the tongues of everyone right now. And so a lot of those are, are issues at the hospital itself. But certainly upstream of that, OEMs have to look closely about what the impact of a sterility loss could be on their device. You know, we're talking implantable devices, and, and it's all critical stuff. So the real mission is to try to get our maintenance group somehow to meld in with our quality group. And as a Six Sigma person myself, you know, I have a lot of suggestions on how that could be without getting too, you know, deep into those sort of methodologies. But talking about process ownership and holding a reasonable meetings, valuable meetings, not the meetings that we all are scared of and think about, but actually get togethers where we can keep that culture connected and to keep the dialogue of what's going on. Because I, I think there is sort of a, a disconnect of siloing of maintenance with quality. And so unless you connect the departments tighter uh, with more crossover and give more allow maintenance, I mean, maintenance is a look at the lower tier of quality. And I think there's some resentments a lot of times from the maintenance group that uh, quality's come and tell me I got to do this, but you know, it's, it's the man and you know, those sort of things. So, and, and you probably see that too. I mean, you have a different conversation when you're speaking with the maintenance group than you do with the people that are in the quality group, right? Right. And the goal there is to try to bring them together under something they can both understand. So the quality guy needs to know how to talk to that maintenance technician to make him understand the importance of his job. The maintenance technician needs to know that what he's doing is just as important as the guy who's sitting in the office writing the, you know, OQIQPQ. If that machine isn't maintained, the maintenance guy, for whatever reason, just doesn't take his job seriously. It's the same consequences. It goes down the line to the patient at the very end. So we try to connect the two by having the quality write instructions in such a way that make it easy for maintenance to understand and we like to connect directly with the maintenance people and have them sometimes just stand over my shoulder and look at what I'm doing so I can show them how easy it really is to perform PM. And that, you know, takes a little bit of the fear out of the, out of it for them, make sure that they know that they can do it really quickly, really easily. And it's just, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> it's just trying to make them understand the importance of their job. And that's been our, our mission for a long time. And I think, you know, the, the bottom line, if you are in the, uh, the manufacturing engineer side or the packaging engineer side is, you know, what does your preventative maintenance plan look like? Do you have tables? How do you alert that there's a time? What cues do you use? I mean, there's, and some of the parts on a machine, um, a visual cue could be a harbinger of a potential issue. More often, medical device manufacturers are using output testing, which I believe in, because nothing is better than sealing a pouch or tray and then 
performing a challenge, a destructive and or a non-destructive challenge of that container to determine whether or not the system is on track and doing that. It used to be back in my day, like I said, I've been in this for, I've been medicine for 30 years, 25 years in sterile packaging. And I remember it was not uncommon for medical device companies to send out pouches to be tested once a month, sometimes once a year. The new sort of uh, zeitgeist in terms of how testing is done and output tables are circulating is more in the test once in the morning, test in the middle of the day, and test again at the end of the day. And we're going to talk more about testing in a later episode. So I think uh, that's pretty much the story. Let's make sure we have a plan for maintaining our equipment and we can't expect it to perform well if we're not taking care of it. It's the same thing with your car, as you alluded to, Cord. And uh, we need to put together a plan that is soaks well into our aggregate validation uh, because a validation plan that does not address machine uh, maintenance that should have been managed in your IQ, if those aren't in place, then you're going to have a packaging program that is a failure from my point of view. So, Cord, thanks for joining me. I'm going to have you back on our testing segment coming up in the future as well as our calibration segment as we talk about machines. So, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate all your insight. All right, well, thank you for having me. Hopefully, we can reach out to some people and educate them a little bit on the importance of periodic maintenance. Well, thank you, Cord, and thank you, everyone, for joining us today. My name is Charlie Webb. This is Sterile Packaging on Track. Thank you for listening to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. Make sure and subscribe to our podcast today so you will never miss out on our latest episode. If there is a subject you would like us to cover, or if you are an expert yourself and would like to be considered for an upcoming episode, then just drop us a line at info at spotradiopodcast.com. Thanks again for listening in. From all of us at Sterile Packaging on Track Radio, have a great day.